One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin. I take a probiotic. And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. On Wednesday morning, congressional Republicans were gunned down during baseball practice. How did we get here and how do we change directions? This is Sarah. I'm a Democrat. This is Beth. I used to be a Republican. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. A few minutes of sanity in the storm. So welcome to another episode. This is our this is our intro we're working out. I, we're not sure it's permanent, but it was who brought it up on Twitter, Beth. I just thought it was um, too great. So the person tweets at a at L E Y L S E S. American Carnage is the current <laughs> name for this person, and I thought it was so funny. And uh, many listeners chimed in and felt it was apropos. So here we go. So we're going to talk about three really unusual things that happened this week. The attorney just attorney general testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee. The cabinet had what I think can only be described as sort of a pep rally. And of course, the shooting at the congressional baseball game practice. But before we get started, I did want to say we've had a few questions about the Patreon. It is still going on. Our membership drive is still happening. We are still a little bit short of our $3,000 goal, which puts pantsuit politics in the black, pantsuit politics in the black. And we have all kinds of options. You can just do a dollar a month. You can do um, $5 a month and get a special email we send every week with additional articles we're reading and Beth's uh, thoughts after the show. 
You can get do $15 a month and get a bonus episode of Pantsuit Politics. You can do $25 a month and get um, a T-shirt and our, all the archives of Pantsuit Primers. Uh, $50 a month, you get to have a Q&A with Beth and I once a month. And $100 a month, and you become an executive producer of the show. So there's all kinds of the secret garden of stuff. And we post on Patreon a lot just for our patrons. Beth did like a travel log that was really fun when she was overseas. So go check it out um, and help support the show. It's really great, guys. Thank you. So the Attorney General of the United States testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee, which is just not a sentence that you get to say every four to eight years. So it's storming in Paducah. It's going to be really atmospheric. And I feel like that is appropriate for this conversation. If you didn't get to see Jeff Sessions' testimony, I think it can be summed up by the phrase, I don't recall. Or, yeah, I mean, uh... Yeah, that's it. That's actually, I was going to say something, but my pausing trying to decide what I was going to say is probably more appropriate. I was talking with um, one of our listeners about this yesterday, and and she made a good point that we wrap up a lot of drama around every single one of these hearings, and the world is still turning, meanwhile, and it's important, but we're not going to get that moment that solves everything in one of these hearings. And no. so... We kind of have to take a breath. And I, and honestly, that was a good reminder for me because I, during sessions testimony, I was so mad that I have a job and had to sit and work and not watch it in real time. And, and it did kind of give me pause and make me think like, chill out, Beth. Nothing is going to happen during Jeff Sessions testimony that hasn't already been prognosticated and that is dispositive of anything that's happening. Yeah. Jeff Sessions is no James Comey. Let's just put it that way. I don't think that there was anything in there except for him saying over and over again i don't know i don't recall can't remember with his i mean look i'm southern it's not that i try to bust on people's accents but his accent really is sort of crazy um not to mention his name jefferson beauregard sessions the third um i also do i am a little bit tired of them shutting down senator harris's questioning it's getting ridiculous at this point i don't know how she's keeping her cool although you know, it's the classic double bind that women are caught in because the second she's like, you don't interrupt anybody else and shut them down. She'll, so she's got to just let it stand on its own as, as the double standard that it is. But dang, it's really getting on my nerves. I suppose that I have started to apply some of that double standard more equally because I'm, I'm very much convinced right now. And I do a lot of thinking and speaking and writing on this topic. I don't think the answer to the, differences between men and women based on historic gender stereotypes is that everyone should act more like men. I think it might be more that men should like come meet us over in the middle. And, and so I found the righteous indignation from the attorney general completely off-putting and probably even more off-putting than I would have found similar behavior in a woman. Um, I, or maybe not, maybe it's just equalizing it and it feels extreme to me because it's different, but I really thought that the way he came out sort of swinging and the adjectives around the types of lies these are made him wholly uncredible. Yeah. Thou, thou dost protest too much a little bit. It just seemed as if he was, he was ready. I mean, here's how I felt, honestly, how I felt watching sessions, which is he's trying to, he, he's not going to be the disfavored among Trump anymore. He's going to go out there. He's going to do what Trump wants him to do, which is 
go over and above and protest and talk about the lies and put himself and his own sort of reputation, not to mention, I didn't really believe that he couldn't remember. I thought that he, I'm not saying he put himself at risk for perjury, but he definitely damaged his credibility immensely. And it just felt like, oh, well, he's really, he's ready to do whatever it takes to get back in Trump's good graces. That's what I felt watching it. I have some empathy for that because I try to put myself in the shoes of, of people involved here. And, and I have from the beginning, I am probably most ideologically opposed to Jeff Sessions of, of most of the people surrounding the president. I think that he and Steve Bannon are at the root of a lot of this kind of white nationalism that troubles me. So, so I don't have any love for the attorney general, but as I think about, I'm sorry, don't you mean general? (laughs) Apparently I do. Why did they do that? I don't know. But as I think about what it must be like to work in this administration, wherever you started, because it's your dream job or because you felt compelled to serve your country or because you are genuinely on board with Trump policies, whatever it is, I can see getting to this place where you just have to make a decision that if you're going to stay, you've got to be all in Mm -hmm. and you've got to be all in whether it like whatever that means for you. And you've got to convince yourself that that's the right thing to do, because how else do you survive it? I mean, I do think you kind of have to be in or out. I felt really um, sorry for Admiral Rogers, who I thought was sort of publicly working through that question during his hearing. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I agree about that. And I think that it's just such, well, I mean, I think there's two things here. I think you have so many levels of public service. And so the sacrifices that these people are making to their credibility and to their prospects afterwards are very different. Like in the military, you know, I think it's different. These guys aren't going to, you know, come out of public service and go be communications directors at Google. You know what I mean? But so many of this sort of, so I think you have like white house staffers who usually kill themselves so that they can go pursue something profitable. And I don't blame them because they work really hard and they have the right to take that sort of skill set that they developed at the top levels and apply it in corporate America. Godspeed. But you know, I don't, I don't see Google hiring Sarah Huckabee Sanders. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that, so I think there's those people. And then I think you have people like Jeff Sessions who for all his faults, I mean, at least he has like a functioning department within the government and, um, where the rest of them are sort of just hollow, um, and not the appointments aren't filled out. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. So, you know, he, but like what happens, it's just a weird, it's a weird conflict to have the one that's who's, has the most public service experience, seems to be actually running his department, and then just stand up there and be such sort of a a hack. It's not, and he gave up a pretty dang safe Senate seat. And I still think he's the one that's going to be taking the hardest fall or one of the hardest falls among all this. And I don't know. And then the, I, I think with the military guys, it just seems like a conflict in the presence. I'm not, I'm not sure in the present moment. Like I'm not sure how, what sort of, I don't, I don't have a good enough grasp of sort of, military career paths, but I I can't imagine sort of that they, he's sacrificing too many career prospects in the future, but you can just see the conflict play out across their faces right now because these guys are dedicated to something so big. And I know it has to be so difficult to be put in that. I mean, I have nothing but, you know, 
sympathy for them in a lot of ways for the position they've been put in, especially the, the military guys. I thought a lot about how different it must be for Admiral Rogers than James Comey. Mm. I haven't served in the military, but my understanding, and I, so I don't want to go too far. My understanding of military culture would make your testimony as a member of the United States military talking about the commander in chief quite different than James Comey, who is an investigator and a lawyer, but, but a civilian, right? right. And I, I thought a lot about how it must be a really different analysis because I think James Comey would naturally have less respect for the chain of command when he right, kept that's being asked say. questions about I why mean, didn't I've, you run this up? I, you right. know, well, he's not, he's not in the military. So the chain of command to him is probably really important and it's probably really difficult to think about deviating from it, but, but a very different question than someone in the military. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think you see both are incredibly dedicated to their institutions. Yes. But James Comey's institution is law enforcement, which is which central sort of purpose is the truth and finding the truth and dedicating yourself to the truth and making sacrifices to find the truth. And sort of it's it's a different driving force. Not that I think, you know, the military is built on lies, but I think the military, like you said, it's like this there he's just as dedicated to his institution and the and they're both essential to our government. But that like you said, it's like it's about the whole. It's about the chain of command and, and for good reason, because when you're running an investigation and when you're on in a foreign country running a mission, it's a little bit different. So well, um I mean well, exactly. you can see that. And I think it, you know where a civilian might be thinking about, am I going to get a job at Google when this is all over for the military? The the first question is, am I going to live through this? Mm -hmm. And and so th they're really, they're really different sets of questions and concerns. And I, I just, I feel for all of them though. I mean, this, this is hard. Yeah. Because I, you know, to work, I think that, you know, something president Trump said after the, shooting is true. Like, I think I do believe and I get very, I bristle a lot when people talk about the swamp and talk about how everybody in Washington, D.C. is just so craven. And because there are so many people that work and they don't work for great money. And especially when you're talking about um, career bureaucrats, they don't work for great money. They do it for decades of their life and they do it because they think they're making a difference. And, you know, does that make them Angels, of course not. They're still human beings. But so many people in Washington, D.C. are working hard and working for not great pay, if pretty decent benefits, because they think they're helping and they think it's important work. And just to be put in that position where everything is topsy-turvy and down is up and up is down and you can't trust the people at the top, that's it's I feel for them. And it's easy for us to say from our homes in Kentucky that all of these folks should resign, which is which is a thought that I had after this cabinet meeting that we're going to talk about. But that wouldn't be good either. I mean, we have to have a functioning government and we don't know the calculus that each one of these people. I mean, if and we for, barely have one now. So if everybody starts resigning, we're really going to be in trouble for all of his faults. Sean Spicer might be what has kept us having a press briefing. Yeah. You know, there have been reports that that the Trump administration wanted to discontinue those. I think it, the theme of this episode probably is people are a people and we need to remember that all the time. Well, and it's also important to remind, remember that a story not like two days ago was that Trump wanted to fire Mueller and his staff talked him down. So 
Glad they're there. Yeah, exactly. So the cabinet, probably everyone has seen this. We were just talking before the show about how we aren't reporters. We don't need to do a deep dive on the facts. We also want to make sure that we sort of level set because we know that we are so fortunate to have listeners in a broad spectrum in terms of how much they're tuning into the news. So if you didn't see this, President Trump held a public meeting with his cabinet that began with each of them expressing how fortunate they are to work for this White House and how this administration has achieved more than than any other. I mean, I don't I mean, first of all, the idea that this administration has passed more legislation except for FDR, the most legislation except for FDR is so bananas. First of all, not all legislation is equal, dude. Second of all, what? I, I, you know, Donald Trump's capacity to leave me slack jawed and shock is really impressive. And this, I mean, post firing James Comey for, you know, all the, the issues about his electoral college victory, the, uh, the, the fact that he didn't support article five of NATO, like all these things, I really should be able to still sit here and be like, are you kidding me? But are you kidding me? Can you think about the staff time it took to organize getting every member of the cabinet there and organizing the meeting and the media's time and all that time, energy and money so we could all sit around and talk about how awesome you are? Are you kidding me? There is a role for emphasizing good news, and I think we need to do more of that. This felt to me, though, like the purpose was, as leaked to the media, to pump up the president as an individual, not to pump up the nation. And I just looked at this and thought, this is the kind of thing that when future people from the private sector seek public office, this Mm. is the kind of thing that's going to be pointed to as a reason that that's a bad idea. And I think this is so unrepresentative of what happens in good management. There's a Mm. lot of bad management out there. But as I said on Twitter, this is management 101 that as the leader, the, the, if you're going to have a rah, rah meeting like that, then it should have been the president saying, let me tell you about the great work that Secretary Tillerson is doing. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Or they could have all come and he could have said like, okay, let's all come. And I want you guys to talk about what you're proudest of that you've accomplished so far. Yes. Or everybody or, go around and tell me one thing. Better yet, who in your department is mm. knocking it out of the park? Brag on your people. Because ultimately, I mean, I I think good management is is the reverse of what an org chart looks like. The top leader should be at the bottom. You should be the foundation that's there to just lift up and support the people who work under you. And this just this just sickened me a, a lot as someone who thinks so much about how to work effectively with groups of people. So there's a couple of things. I didn't watch the whole thing. Did Elaine Chow do a rah-rah? I didn't watch the whole thing either. I wonder if she did. I sh- I'm assuming she was. She's in the cabinet, right? She should have been there. Like, can you imagine the phone call to her husband, Mitch McConnell, when she was like, oh, guess what he wants us to do today? We have to go and sit at a big table and say something nice about him. Like, would you, what would I give to hear her tell him that that's what they're going to do? 
And it is important to say that we didn't watch the whole meeting. Something really productive and great could have happened. <laughs> I was, I couldn't watch. I mean, I didn't I even can't, finish I can't, all no. the clips. I watched like five of them and I was like, I'm out. I can't do this. I also bet Tillerson was like, are you kidding me? I ran Exxon. Well, and the faces, you could see that the only person having a good meeting here was the president. You, you could see how uncomfortable people were. When I heard Ryan's Priebus, I was out. Oh, is he the one that said blessing or blessed? Was he the yes. blessing? Come on. Blessing? I just, I can't. So it's more, it's, it's another, again, we don't need to live or die based on this cabinet meeting. It is another data point in telling us how the executive branch is functioning right now and what the president's priorities are. And I think that sense of the people around him having to make a lot of decisions that are, that are probably on the spectrum of the kinds of decisions people always have to make, but way on one end of that spectrum. Well, here's the thing. I think it just confirms what we knew, which is the, the, White House and this administration serves Donald Trump, not the American people. Well, we're going to talk next about the congressional baseball practice that turned so violent and awful. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. 
This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. So we are recording on Thursday morning, yesterday, Wednesday in Alexandria at the baseball practice for the Republican members of Congress for the bipartisan congressional baseball game. There was a shootout between an Illinois man named James Hodgkinson and officers from the Capitol Police in Alexandria. He, there were five people shot, including House Majority Whip Steve Scalise from Louisiana, um, two Capitol Police officers assigned to protect him. There were one of the officers shot Hodgkinson and he later died from his wounds. I believe there was also a staff member and a lobbyist injured. Um, so it was a very scary day. Our Senator Rand Paul was there. Um, there was sort of an extended shootout and just a very scary day all around for um, those in the Capitol. We thought it would be useful to be pretty vulnerable with everyone and talk about our instant reactions and thought processes because I think. It's, it's helpful to process the context in which we view things, events like this now. So I can share that one of my initial reactions was that I, I worried this would be another person who had served in our military, both because of the assault rifle and also the, the understanding that these folks would be in such a vulnerable position with a fence literally surrounding them. You know, Rand Paul described one of the staffers making the decision to scale that fence. And he said it was like a 15-foot fence, and the guy got over it in about two seconds. Wow. But it the circumstances made me wonder if this was someone who had some training. And I said to Sarah in a text message, I just, I worry all the time about how much we're asking of people in our military. I had this reaction after watching 13 hours, which I mentioned in the last episode too. One of the, uh, one of the men at the CIA compound in Libya said, what, what will it mean to my family that I was in a country I don't care about mm. fighting for stuff I don't understand? And I died there. And so <sighs> with, with all that on my mind, I just instantly thought, I wonder, if if that's what's happened here. Well, once it seemed clear that there was they were the person was targeting Republicans cuz it seems like he well he was a we know he worked for the Bernie Sanders campaign and he was a Bernie supporter and he had posted some very anti-Trump um stuff on social media. My first thought before I knew any of that was that perhaps this could be a healthcare issue and I kept thinking about how the pre- the president had said the bill was mean the day before because healthcare is such a charged, emotionally charged issue. And I think, you know, if Democrats were getting spit on because we were trying to um, change healthcare and add Obamacare, like when people 
understand that their health care could be severely limited under the Republican plan or taken away altogether. I know that the town halls have become incredibly emotionally charged. And so that was sort of my first instinct. And I think it's just, you know, it's interesting to see the prism through which we all see and act like this before we know the facts. And it's sort of it's such a um, illustrative sort of moment to see how everyone reacts. I think that for me, what really bothered me is I noticed on my, you know, Facebook page and on Twitter, a lot of my friends on the left, it immediately became about gun control. And there was even coverage in the media. Oh, Republicans colleagues were gunned down and they still don't want to talk about gun control. I don't really find that particularly um, productive, but I thought that was interesting that that was the first, like that was the first sort of manifestation from the left was like, this is all about gun control for me. And probably this is something that Beth and I talk a lot. And obviously because I'm a public servant myself, it was sort of, it was about why do we talk about politicians like they're dogs? Like, why do we talk about um, politicians like they're anything less than human beings with small children they want to go to at the end of the night? And, you know, we had recently posted some articles about Democrats in a couple of races across the country. One guy was like holding his kids and and was going inside and somebody threw a a full bottle of like a soda bottle at his back and said, get out of here, liberal scum. And there was a couple other Democrats that have withdrawn from races because they were being so intimidated and physically threatened. And I just think that is so discouraging in a democracy where we depend on people running for office to, you know, keep functioning that you know, to not acknowledge that they put themselves in harm's way. And do they put, you know, I said this on Facebook, I said, public service is hard. And this, you know, a friend of mine was like, well, it's not hard, like being a police officer. Of course, it's not hard, like being a police officer. It's like not a finite amount of hard we're dishing out here. So I know it's not comparable. And really, nobody ever wants to hear politicians complain. And, but I just think that we, I think it's so detrimental the way we talk about um, politicians. And look, it's not like I'm saying kind things about President Trump on here, but I still think he's a human being who has children and grandchildren. And it's not, you know, helpful to talk about politicians, even the ones you disagree with, even the ones, uh, you know, I said this on Facebook that you feel threaten your own humanity, because, you know, I believe that that is a, that is a important spiritual exercise. It's not, you don't win any awards for being kind to people who are kind to you. That's not hard. That's not forming any self-awareness or any, you know, rubbing your rough edges off in any way, shape or form. It's when you can look at somebody who doesn't see your humanity and see theirs. That's the powerful exercise. That's the, that's when you're really growing as an individual. That's when you're contributing to the the conversation and to your own, you know, your own self. Like I, I send this on Facebook. Like I said, you know, I just, I refuse to lose my own humanity in this process. And I just feel like when we get to the place that someone thinks they should go hunt congressmen, I'm, I think we're in dangerous territory of losing our humanity. Well, and I think that the instant reflexes from both sides of the aisle to take any incident of violence immediately to gun control and, and start spooling out talking points on that. That is not the highest level that our brains are capable of functioning in. And, and it's not that we shouldn't talk about it. I mean, I saw a compelling tweet from David Frum yesterday, who is a conservative, right? Who said, 
There was a big fire in London. No one in London is saying now is not the time to talk about fire safety. Oh, it's, so true. it's reasonable to talk about about gun control around these events. For that to be the first reaction is problematic. But to your point about the way we treat public servants, I started thinking about how anything Congress does or doesn't do on gun control now, they're screwed in the public sphere. We will not allow this to have a good outcome because if they do nothing, the reaction is going to be what what the headline you cited said, like they still won't do anything. And if they do something, it's going to be, well, they value their own lives, but not anyone Mm. else's. We were spurred to action when Republican men were gunned down, but not when children died at Sandy Hook, right? We're going to, we're going to punish them no matter what. Right. Right. And we do this on every single issue. And, and yes, you and I are critical of, of public servants. I woke up to an email this morning telling me that there is blood on my hands because of the way that we've talked about President Trump on our show. Oh, goodness gracious. That conversations like the ones we're having have led to this quote civil war. And I just think that if you're living in those extremes, we are going to end up in some really bleak places. Now, I don't think the majority of people live in those extremes. Mm-mm. I think the vast majority of people do not. I think the vast majority of people are capable of saying what a horrible thing that took place. And we still have some really complicated issues to work through as a country. And working through those issues is important and we need to do it. And it also is not going to solve every situation. So I think we just have to keep reminding ourselves that the the loudest voices that express themselves politically constantly, and I include myself in this, you know, are not representative of the whole. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Well, I will say I was thinking this morning about a few exchanges I had on Facebook in particular yesterday. And, you know, the encouraging part for me is on our Pantsuit Politics page, on my personal blog page, on my personal page. There were several times, you know, for for a long time, I think really in particularly before the election, I, you know, I felt it was sort of my, my solitary task that I took on. Like, you will not bait me. I will not get emotional. I will be calm and kind and considerate no matter how much you insult me. And, but it always felt like I was sort of like out there on my own kind of battling. Um, and so often recently, I don't have to say anything because there's another, and I'm not going to lie. It's usually, it's not, actually, that's not fair. There's been a lot of male voices too, but there are a lot of my female friends and our female listeners. Like there was an exchange. Somebody came, um, somebody came along on one of our paint to politics page and said something so incendiary and everybody was like on him so quick. Like, I'm sorry. It is not helpful or productive to a group. All conservatives. Carrie said something and another one of our listeners said something and, you know, my, I had a friend on my personal Facebook page who, I mean, th- this guy who's not a friend of mine found me through another person was posting like videos of abortion procedures and talking about how everybody likes to kill babies. I mean, just the most sort of ridiculous over the top emotional arguments. And she, my friend Lisa did not lose her cool. She was like, I'm sorry. I don't understand where you're coming from. I can see where you would think that's hypocritical. Can you tell me why you feel like that? Like just so calm. And so like, I will not be baited. Like this is important. I had two of my friends, um, two of my guy friends from very different parts of my life engage. One is very pro gun control. One is very, um, pro-gun rights, and they had a conversation. They agreed on several things that they would both be okay with. That would be a step forward. And it was just like, see, like this can happen. This is a thing that can happen. We can have a conversation. We cannot go to extremes, or if we do, we can just not be baited. And because I just think, you know, it's like I told a friend yesterday, like just sitting around waiting for the other side to figure out how right we are. 
it doesn't matter, you know, like, especially on gun control, if Sandy Hook didn't change anything, then we have to really carefully consider how how we do change things and how the conversation has to change and what we're willing to compromise on to move the conversation forward. And I just I was encouraged in in bits and pieces by what I saw yesterday, because I think people are exhausted by it. And um, clearly not the the um, very reasonable individual who accused you of having blood on your hands. But like you said, I think the majority are. I was having a discussion this morning on Twitter with uh, one of our listeners about civility. And his point was civility only carries you so far because sometimes there is fundamental disagreement. Absolutely. That's true. But I think we are at a point where we both sides take every issue and talk about it in the most extreme terms possible. And an example of that that plays out over and over is healthcare. And I I think it's different to say if we discontinue Medicare, data shows that that puts X number of people at at serious risk and we need to talk about that, then you must want to kill people. And, And I think it's the same thing from the right on abortion. It's different to say, I think that, you know, allowing abortion raises some serious questions about how we value life in our country, then you must want to kill babies. And and I think if we could pull back from all of that and, and, you know, look, this isn't a new conversation for us. This is what we're trying to do. This is why we started this show, right? This is what we're trying to do every single time. And I think it's important to hold the notion that that work is important and the more we all do it, the more encouraging it will be and it will improve our politics simultaneously with the idea that this still could have happened Mm. and that having a more civil discourse is not going to solve everything just as having more restrictive gun laws, isn't going to solve everything just as, having more protection for members of Congress, isn't, you know, bad things will still happen. And it doesn't give this gentleman a pass that he did this in a time of extreme rhetoric. Mm-mm. You know, all, all of these concerns and questions can kind of swirl around at the same time without us needing to rank or blame or name them. And I would just like to say this too. Civility is not a political strategy. It is a personal value, right? You're not doing it now. Is it important? Absolutely. To understand where the other side is coming from. And look, I will be honest and vulnerable in saying a lot of my um, civility is a tool I use to understand where people are coming from. So that then I have a better understanding of how to get what I want and how to move the conversation forward and how to get us anywhere but where we are now. Absolutely true. But it's also just like I said, it's my it's a personal value. It's what I do because I'm not going to treat somebody like scum because it's not who I am because I think it's damaging to my own soul. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want to teach my children to act like that. And I don't want people to treat my children like that. So, I, you know, whether it, it quote unquote works or not, I mean, I think it does, but that's really not the point. The point is I don't like who I am, whether it works or not, if I abandon it. And whether civility is a 
practice or an end state in and of itself is going to depend on the person. You and I have talked a lot about the emails that we receive from Richard Rohr and the Center for Action and Contemplation. And the theme of the emails this week has been help me to do what is mine to do. And I've been thinking about that so much and realizing more and more that for me, there is not a particular end state that, that I am here to advocate for. It is more about the process. For me, civility is more the objective at this point, but that's not everyone's work. And, and so I think just keeping a focus on whatever is ours to focus on and not needing that to be superior or inferior to anyone else's work helps us go somewhere from all of this. And, and we can do that with the recognition that, that things like this are still out there. And this is an unusual time that we're living in and, and, and we've got a lot of work to do. I think that's a great ending point. So as always, we would like to thank our executive producer, my husband, Nicholas, and our new executive producers, Tracy Putoff and Leslie Kirkendall. You can follow us on social media or leave us a review on the Apple podcast app. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all.